all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Red Rob. Red Rob. I'm Rachel. And I'm David. <laughs> and this is All Bad Things, Cold and Flu Edition. <laughs> yeah, I was trying real quick to come up with something from um, that movie. From The Shining? Yes, that one. Okay. And the book. Uh, all work and no play makes Jack a very dull boy. <laughs> I was trying to remember uh, like the scene where he's talking about... Uh, all I do is work. Oh, then, yeah. <laughs> See, I think... Where he first starts to lose it. I think Jack Nicholson is a very talented actor, but I don't like him as a person, and I think it's because that's what I think he might be like in real life as a real asshole. He might asshole. be. Or he could be the most fun guy ever. Maybe you never he's know. just a sweetheart, yeah. and I'm the jerk who's thinking that he's a jerk. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I have a cold. I don't know if anyone could tell. I've been hiding it so well. But um, it's been a week. Yes. It's been a week. Um, between tax season, getting sick, and we had family in town, which was wonderful. Yes, it was. But also kept us very busy. Yes, it did. Um, so we are incredibly grateful for listeners who are willing to do research. We are extremely grateful. Extremely. And we will get into that in a minute. First, I wanted to... Um, do a quick one star corner. Okay. You're right. Well, is, this our, is this our new segment on the well, show? Well, yes, exactly. We got like three reviews on the same day uh, a f- one star, a four star, and a five star. We are polarizing, okay. if yeah, nothing else. That works. Um, and then also, we got, we actually got some really nice five star reviews. Um, and we thank you for those. Those are wonderful. I'm not going to read them because then, then it just sounds like we're reading our own compliments. <laughs> but um, I mean, read them out loud. But uh, here, here's a great one from Hoosier2233, who I'm going to guess is from Indiana, but who knows? That would be my first. Uh... The ti- It's a two-star review, and the title is Pros and Cons. Oh, okay. After listening to the Everest episode, so basically they listened to one episode, and here, sure. here's what they decided. I'm of the opinion this podcast has both pros and cons. Pros. The clarity of the audio is good. Hey, I'll, I'll accept that. Cons. The oh, amat- that's, that, that was our only pro. <laughs> that was our only pro, even though they put plural. <laughs> cons. The amateurist delivery. The overall poor research. Far too much unrelated material. Well, that last one's kind of fair. Well, you see, they're uh, they're from Indiana. Well, not necessarily. Who's your twenty-two thirty-three? They could be a huge fan uh, of the movie. No, of the <laughs> of the team. Then, and they probably grew up in Indiana, but they could be in California. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? A lot of people leave Indiana. I, I briefly lived in Indiana. <laughs> yes, ex- exactly. You are one of them. Well, but I was. You didn't grow so. up there, though. No, no. Um. Then, the, yeah, we got a couple of... Uh, v squared 38 said something very nice. The, uh, the hosts are perfect. The show is perfect. I love it, and we'll fight you on this. Abby, <laughs> is that you? <laughs> <laughs> and we said we wouldn't read our five-star reviews. Yeah, that was nice. I don't know. <laughs> um, this one's just called Annoying by okay. Irritated57558584. Please That's stop. their actual handle. Well, you can choose whatever you want to call yourself. I see. Please stop interrupting each other. I think the research is good, but listening to the host back and forth is too much to take. Again. Hey, at least we got a good research out of it. Yeah, right? Um, then the four, the four star is called Growing On Me. Oh, okay. This like podcast that. came highly recommended to me by a friend. Thank you, friend, whoever you are. It's taken a while to get into it with all the off-topic conversations, the extremely long <laughs> intros, and sometimes uncomfortably joking, but you guys have really started to grow on me. I'm now 40 episodes in. Nice. you in through 40 hey, episodes. That's, that's given a, a talk about <coughs> talk about an earnest effort. Exactly. So we thank you very much for hanging in there because 
We wouldn't listen to 40 episodes. I was going to say, I don't, I don't think I would listen to 40 episodes. I don't think I would give us even that much of a chance. I'm not sure either. I'd give us maybe five episodes. <laughs> I think that's a good, you know, it's a week. Yeah, I do get annoyed at the people who listen to one episode and then decide to rate us. Yeah, at least know. listen to two. Just pick a random one. Pick pick a, here. I think you have to listen to several in order to If anybody suggests, who is listening to this, suggests somebody who's never heard of us or is curious about us what just tell them to pick two pick a really horrible one unfortunately and a fun one, a fun one. yeah because we've got like six or seven fun ones I we've think. got a good we've got a we've good got, backlog of uh yeah of uh light-hearted ones oh um I, my my personal favorite is uh disco demolition night <laughs> okay because That's the story one. is so bizarre that uh, you couldn't make it up but that anyway. is a good one that is a good one um, maybe next week, if Simmons willing to do some research, mm-hmm. we'll get a miracle sewed. Yes. Yeah, very specific miracle sewed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Anywho. Anywho at all. Should I, uh, do you want me to pick things up from here? Because I can. I'll, I'm going to try, but because we didn't write this script, we can, if we need to pass it off, you know, yeah. if I need to give it to you, um, we can. So. We're both learning as we go along. Yeah, exactly. So this, oh, we got a new bed. The cats are enjoying it. It's much taller than the other one. So if you hear cats jumping off things, they're jumping off the bed. They're closer to the microphone now. Yes, they are. They have That's easier true. access to the microphone. Right, we'll put it that way. Don't sit on my research yet. That's exactly what he was looking for. Yep. You can sit on the iPad. That's okay. The cat who likes to sit on things. Um. So this script is verbatim. A listener script, specifically our awesome longtime listener Angela. I'll, I guess I'll identify her slightly further by calling her Angela I. Yes. I don't want to be giving out people's no, last I names. No, I understand. Uh, but uh, Angela's been a, a long time. I'm trying to think how long, but it's a hard. Long time. It's been a while that it's, Angela's it, been listening and commenting, and, and somehow it's Facebook been group. Somehow it's been a while that we've done this. I know, almost three years. Mm-hmm. We're going three years. I can't of this, believe that. Right? I never would have thought that from the start. I know. Any of I this know. from the start. I don't think any of our listeners would have either. No, probably not. Um But Angela So we, we thank you very much. Yes. Thank you. So this is all Angela's work, all Angela's research. When she sent this sent us the script, she says she said, um, I hope it doesn't come off too dry like a research paper or something. And I was thinking to myself, oh, you mean like fully qualified yeah, and like, properly researched? Like research, research? We'll take it. So. <coughs> um, you mean not a Wikipedia and or a history.com? So don't look at the. Um, well, actually, I'll show you her citations page. This okay. is. So Angela not only did a sources page, she did a full-blown like academic citation page. At least it looks that way to me. Maybe it's not. But she even put the access dates for every website. You know how you're supposed to mm-hmm. do that in a, well, apparently in a research paper. I wouldn't know. I haven't done one in a while. Um, but so Angela rocked this out. Oh, you saw pictures. Uh, I did, but I can't. I can't okay. tell really what it is. And inline pictures. She's she um, she's amazing. She rocked this out. So, this is the story, and we'll all be learning together, of the Green Sahara, or alternate uh, title, the No Longer Green Sahara. Oh, okay. So again, um, the the beautifully eloquent writing I'm about to reading read, not my own, <laughs> and certainly not mine. Exactly. We know that disasters have shaped human history in the modern era. It turns out that disasters have shaped human history for much, much longer than that. Earth is a dynamic planet full of complex systems which follow their own rules without regard to any of the living organisms here. This is a story of the latest African humid period, popularly known as the Green Sahara. Okay. Very interesting, right? Because if you think of the Sahara Desert, the word humid probably doesn't pop into your head. No. So, but I do like what she says about um, without regard or, or to green. any. Yeah. <laughs> um, that that earth follows uh, own rules without regard to any of the living organisms here. Because how, how often have we said that? 
that um, Mother Nature the doesn't care. That planet does not care. Mm-hmm. So, some background. The Sahara Desert of Northern Africa currently covers 9,200,000 square kilometers, or 3,600,000 square miles, which is comparable to the area of the U.S. or China. <coughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna go on record and say that's a lot. A lot of square miles and a lot yes, of square kilometers. Yes, it is indeed. A lot of but, United States is apparently too. Well, the about the roughly the size of the U.S. That's crazy. So imagine the U.S., but it would imagine it all being desert. The whole thing was a desert. I would actually really love to see the Sahara at some point. What do you sure? think? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Possibly. Possibly. It's a possibility. It covers most or all, so the Sahara, covers most or all of 10 northern African countries. I didn't know that. Algeria, Chad, Egypt, Libya, Mali, Mauritania. I didn't even know that was a country. Morocco, Niger, Sudan, and Tunisia. And I've heard of all of those except for that one, whatever that one was. What was it called again? Uh, Mauritania? Yeah. Yeah, I've not heard of that. That might be a new I, one. Every once in a while, a, a new country term, will pop up that I've never heard of. A lot heard of turmoil of. in uh, northern Africa. A lot of sand, too, yeah. apparently. Um, and it's known for its hyper-aridity, read extreme dryness, and high temperatures. So now I'm going to show you her citation page. Look at this. Look at this beautifulness. Oh, my God. And look, inline citation, like... She she cites where this she comes used from. Uh, she used more citations on one episode than I have in the grand total of all the right, episodes probably. I've done. <laughs> this is this is brilliant, Angela. We might have to just hire you to do all our research. I'm good with that. <laughs> it covers about 31 percent of Africa. Okay, side note: Africa is freaking huge. Yeah, and it covers almost a third almost of a third it. of it. Wow. Just for simple math, we can just go ahead and call it a third. Yeah, it's close I, enough. I think it's okay to round up that two percent. Yeah, um, its main <laughs> that's, ge- that's insane. I know its main geographic feature is fields of gravel mixed with sand, which apparently are called regs, or maybe it's reg. I don't think so. I think it's regs. Although its popular image, oh by the way, it's Idris Elba, according to all our British. I fans. saw. Yes. yes. Thank you, British fans. Yes. Although its popular image is that of endless seas of sand dunes, known as ergs, which that I agree with that, that if I had to picture the Sahara in my mind, I would picture like sand dunes, sure. like waves of sand. Um, but she's saying that actually this is more typical. The regs like gravel. Oh, OK. Just yeah, rocky. just looks like Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Except it's in America. No, it's not in America. Or I'm in America, in Africa. <laughs> yeah, I think you're meaning in on Earth, and yes. not, not in Mars. Yeah. No, I was meaning in Africa. I just said America. Okay. Um, well, they start and end with the same letter. But yeah, if you just put some, <laughs> if you just put some red tint to that photo in the background, you know, and just told somebody this is uh, what Section B thirty seven of Mars looks like, you'd be like, oh, or Star Wars, yeah, like a anything. Ta- Tatooine, is it the mm-hmm. sandy planet? Yep. Where did they um, film that? Uh, the very first Star Wars I know was filmed in Tunisia, and okay. I, th- I honestly, I think that's one of those countries. Yeah. I think they went back there for the Force Awakens. Okay. I think they also filmed that there. I'm not so, positive on that. And th- that makes sense that this looks like Star Wars then, because yeah. that's one of the countries. Mm-hmm. Tunisia is one of the ten countries. Other features are stone plateaus called hamadas, temporary water sources called wadis, located mostly in the mountains, depressions with which fill with salt after the winter rains evaporate, chots, seasonal pools called gueltas, and oases, which are permanent water sources in the Sahara. That's a lot of terminology I've never heard of. Mm. That's, that's very interesting. Some subsections of the Sahara currently support small trees, bushes, and scrub, while other sections can go years without rain. Well, that makes sense because it's covering such a large area right it would make sense that there's a uh, climate difference too or um, oh well absolutely like precipitation yeah absolutely as well I mean, it's it's a uh, the size of you know uh, uh, the state the states the yeah. america <laughs> the america but uh yeah and think of how many different climates and conditions there are all over america i'm yes. sure this i'm so sure this place covering... is just the same exactly 
Yeah, Jesse agrees. Well, he's freaking out. I don't know why. I think it's because of the new bed. <laughs> he just doesn't know what to do with himself. <laughs> Small areas along the Mediterranean Sea and the Red Sea receive more precipitation than the bulk of the desert because of the effect of weather systems in those seas. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the Sahara receives less than 20 millimeters of precipitation per year, which is less than an inch, 0.8 inches. Wow. So it's rather dry. So it has that reputation for a reason because it is generally very dry. The primary reason the Sahara remains dry is because of the presence of a constant warm high pressure system, which interacts with the geography of the region to prevent cloud formation. Huh? Okay. This, I I probably sound awful because I'm like reacting to every sentence. Like I didn't write it because I didn't. The stability of this system prevents the formation or entrance of low-pressure systems. Oh, which that would, when high-pressure and low-pressure systems meet, they create rain. So that makes rainfall nearly non-existent. That's weird and interesting. Some sections of the Sahara, most notably the Great Desert of Libya, are as dry as the Atacama Desert of Chile, which is used by NASA to simulate the surface of Mars. There ah, we go. <laughs> that was right. <laughs> you were. I did not know that NASA had a like location that they used to simulate simulate. Doesn't surprise me uh, because you want to be able to come the closest you can to like real world conditions. Sure. And this is probably as close as they can do it. Right. They're like, like here. Pretend this is Mars. Like, okay, <laughs> that's not really a hard thing to do. Right? Because it's basically the same thing. However, humans are adaptable, and so there are small groups of people, most notably the Toreg and Bedoa. Bed, oh, can you tell I didn't read this beforehand? Toreg and Bedouins? Sure. Bedouns. Judges. Judges. <laughs> It's definitely not that I don't know. But anyway. I I can't see it, so. It's B-E-D-O-U-I-N-S. Bedouins. Bedouins. That's how I'd say. I don't know why that threw me off so much. Anyway. Well, it's kind of a French-sounding word. Maybe that's that's why, yeah. I grew up amongst uh, French people. Yeah, les habitants. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So they live in select areas of this inhospitable area. And it's true. Humans can... Figure out a way to live in some pretty we are places. one of the most adaptable species that has ever lived. I agree. Yeah, and we that, live that all over sense. the place. That's true. Yep. In all sorts of different conditions. Yes. Likewise, there are twenty eight hundred different species of plants adapted to the Sahara, and many different species of animals, including foxes, birds, gazelles, lizards, and insects. Can you imagine? I bet there's some gnarly insects in the Sahara. I bet there's some gnarly lizards, too. Yes. (laughs) But there's some Komodo dragons in there somewhere. Something like that. For most of... So now we're in a history section. For most of known history, the Sahara has been regarded as a barrier which was difficult and dangerous to cross. Ancient writings speak of, quote, the desert waste, end quote, portraying it as home for monsters and demons. Well, that's being a bit dramatic, but... Yeah. Again, let's try to picture crossing America on foot if it's only desert. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, yeah, it, it's, it, it's not it's not happening. It probably felt like a home for monsters and demons. Yeah, because people, people died then. of dehydration or all oh, yeah. sorts of different things and literally got, sadly, picked apart. Yeah. Yeah. Food sources, I imagine, uh, are a little tricky yeah. to find in the Sahara, too. But the Sahara contained a critical commodity. Can you guess what it is? This is, I'm not sure I would come up with this, but salt. Okay. Salt is scarce in much of sub-Saharan Africa, but it was plentiful in the desert. This led to the development of salt mines Mm -hmm. in dry lake beds, so that makes sense, and also to a problem, namely how to get the salt to markets where it could be traded for cereals or other goods. <clears throat> Initially, trains of horses and donkeys were used. However, these animals are poorly adapted for the desert. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I've said that makes sense like 27 times already. <laughs> Guess what, Angela? This whole thing <laughs> this makes, makes sense. This makes sense. Unlike our research. <laughs> Ancient carvings demonstrate camels, the pack animal of choice for the task, being loaded or ridden starting in 10 BCE. By 9 BCE, Assyrian rulers 
demanded camels for tribute from vassal states. So they were like currency, basically. Oh, yeah. Of high value, clearly. Shakedown going on. (laughs) Yeah, right? Give us your camels. While the camel caravans and trade routes of the Sahara had been known since the time of the ancient Greeks and Romans, the Sahara itself was largely ignored by European colonials. There was considerable interest in the salt trade, which was closely connected with the gold trade. However, the Tuareg and other nomads who controlled the trade routes were very hostile to Europeans. Good. I'm, I'm not... Uh, that sounded terrible. So, I'm not against Europeans... It's just more, it's just about modern time. modern-day Europeans. It's, no. <laughs> it's just about time, or, or not about time, but, you know, like, I, I'm always okay with um, Native peoples, like, being hostile to interlopers mm-hmm. who are trying to take over their trade, so. Right. Rightfully so. European colonial forces weren't equipped or accustomed to desert warfare. It was not their home turf. And European settlers were certainly not interested in taking up herding in the Sahara. <laughs> yeah, can, ooh, shall we go to Africa and start herding camels? No. <laughs> Said no one ever. Farming of the style European settlers were familiar with was nearly impossible, which ma- makes sense. Mm-hmm. I said the 28th time. Mm-hmm. Further, the Muslim population in the Sahara was considered barbaric and dangerous and was known to murder Christians and Jews. Yeah, that's... No. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure we've outgrown that uh, um, Muslim equals barbaric stereotype. So. No, not at all. <coughs> that's it's only been going on for thousands of years. Right, yeah, this was, yeah, in BCE time. It just makes me think of this one lady who I follow, her Twitter account. Oh, my God. This is a real person, you can tell. You can tell it's not a bot. Not a bot. And, wow, if even if a Muslim even gets a parking ticket, she's, like, ready to kill them all. <laughs> I'm, I'm not like, joking. Why, I'm not talking about she has, so like... so much hate, you know? I'm not talking she has, like, a couple of those tweets. I'm talking about she has a couple of those tweets an hour. Ugh. Every hour. I'm not even joking. There's got to be something really messed up. Like, you must hate yourself if you hate other people that much. Probably. It's got to be a self-loathing thing, right? Yeah. As you might imagine, greed was the initial impetus for European exploration of the Sahara. Yep. Major Daniel Houghton. Houghton or Houghton? Houghton. Houghton? Houghton. I bet it's Houghton. Like, Charles Lawton. It's Houghton. Oh, maybe not. Anyway, a former member of the British Army joined the African Commission and was sent in 1790 to locate the city of Timbuktu. Hmm. This city, whose precise location was unknown to Europeans, was known to be a very wealthy trade center. Ivory, gold, salt, and slaves were traded at Timbuktu, and the British were very, and it's in bold, very eager to take possession of it. I have... I remember hearing in like old movies from here to, to Timbuktu. Timbuktu. Yeah. Uh, Houghton did not succeed in finding the city and eventually died of starvation near a watering hole at Terra. <laughs> well, I guess that'll happen too. I was going to say near a watering hole, so <laughs> he didn't quite make it. Not quite, but he died of starvation anyway. <laughs> that's so. true. For Which the next. probably worse to die from. That's, that's a long, oh boy. painful thing. I do know it takes longer, much longer to mm. die of starvation than dehydration. You are not starving, no, Jesse. Furthest thing from it. Why does he suddenly want to get in the bathroom? I think it's just the the, the new bed is just he's just it's different. <laughs> he's just him. off kilter, poor boy. Yeah. Are you off kilter, Jess? Oh, now you won't say yeah, anything. Answer me. For the next fifty years or so, European explorers from Britain. France, yes, and Germany attempted to explore different parts of the Sahara and were met with failure and usually death. Yeah. Yeah. I would usually call death. death. <laughs> and the, the, the fact that they make it so casual sounding like, oh, they usually die. Usually die. death. <laughs> Meaning, you know, you have like a 97% chance that it's going to happen. Probably. Finally, in 1850, a Prussian explorer named Heinrich Barth joined an expedition led by a British explorer named James Richardson and a Prussian astronomer named Adolf Overweg. 
The goal of this expedition, like that of the previous ones, was to open up commercial trade with the states and central and western with the states of central and western Sudan. However, a secondary goal was to conduct scientific studies of the area and document its geography, history, civilizations, and language. I think Jesse is saying that it's time for you to take over. Yes. All right. Um, and language is where I left off. Okay. All right, let's see how smooth this transition goes. <laughs> so during the course of the expedition, James Richardson and Adolf Overvig both died of disease, leaving Barth to conduct the expedition alone. Oh, that would suck. Barth was much more interested in the scientific aspects of the expedition than the commercial ones and documented the culture and history of the peoples he met. So Barth was... Uh, a dude. Yes, he... Oh, he... There he is. Heinrich, oh, he was Heinrich the Prussian Barth. explorer. Yep. Okay. Yep, so, so he was just an explorer. He was just kind of interested in what was going on, not in um, how can we exploit what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. Which, of course, is what other people are going to be there for, because guess what? These kind of missions, especially back in this time, had to be well-financed. That's right, yeah. Usually so, by governments, mm-hmm. right? Or, or uh, monarchies. So, yeah, you can do your little science thing, but we're here to make money. Right. Yeah, so that's... That, Jeez, thank God we're over that. <laughs> he carefully made his observations and sketches in his travel journal of the of the people he met, uh-huh. which was later published um, after his return to Germany. The quality of his work was so good that his book was eventually cited by Charles Darwin. Oh. Ah, never heard of him. This book... Reis- uh, okay, here we go. <laughs> it's a German title. Reason und Endokurgen... In Nordund, Centrafrica. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, so I, I love how Jesse stop eating the script. So I. I love just how, whenever I see German, it just makes me think that I have to sound angry. For some I know. Reason. I, I was going to say why I that love is. The, well, I I you I, know I wish I, I had actually is, known the words. You know what I think it is, and what? it's terrible. Is that it's playing too much Call of Duty? Well. For a lot of, um, probably especially Americans, our main, uh, I don't know, thing that we were exposed to when learning of Germany was Hitler. It was pretty much the first thing. It was the first thing, really, I was exposed to, because when I was growing up, we were still in the Cold War. Yeah. So there was an East and a West Germany when I was a kid. So I think that's what comes to our mind when we think German is like Hitler's speeches and rallies and stuff. And so we just feel like yelling. So we feel like we have to act like Adolf Hitler for some reason. Because he's the only German ever. Yeah, right? it's weird. Um, so that translates into, I'm not even going to try to read any of that ever again, I swear. <laughs> so that translates to Travels and Discoveries in North and Central Africa, 1857 to 1858. Five volumes, approximately three. 3,500 pages. Wow. So this book provided some of the first evidence of the Green Sahara ever produced by Europeans. The Green Sahara, which mm-hmm. is not something I had heard of. So no. that I'm interested to... Are these uh, double-sided? They are, but that's the you already side read I that started one. Okay. So what evidence of the Green Sahara existed, you might wonder? It turns out that there are some things which are odd about the Sahara... First, many of the larger oases and uh, geltas are inhabited by crocodiles, which was probably a nasty surprise to unwary, thirsty travelers. God, yeah. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, here's here's some water, finally. And now I'm dead. Yeah. And it would happen that quickly, I'm sure. I hope, anyway. Well, especially in, aren't um, crocodiles especially adept in water? Oh, God, yeah. If you... Yeah. Like, if you're on land, you stand a chance. If you're on, in water, you're dead. You're done. Yeah. yeah you're gone that's my understanding you better hope you can just swim faster than the other person that's right <laughs> that's really and that there's um, not more than one crocodile uh, yeah which usually there's a yeah anyway and, and don't smile at them that would be about the <laughs> scariest fucking thing i could ever think of in my entire life is coming face to face with one of those things because it's over yeah um so on the surface uh this isn't unusual crocodiles live in larger bodies of water in tropical areas yeah yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes oh, sense. I said it said 29 <laughs> times. The question was, how did they get there? These desert crocodiles closely resembled the Nile crocodile, but the Nile was many, many, many miles away. 
Accounts of desert peoples catching crocodiles, strapping them to their caravan of ca camels, and transporting them to the next watering hole were non-existent, nor are crocodiles known, known for their marathon hiking abilities. Okay, so yeah, these, so these crocodiles are just being found in the in these oases in the middle of yeah. the desert, and it's, it's like, like how okay, did, how did this happen? People weren't exporting them. No. They, the Nile was too far away, and it's not like crocodiles were exploring and setting out for themselves so i got i get it so here's there's like well like, how did this was it maybe not always desert um they probably did an agent aliens on this too they're like how did the crocodiles get in the middle of the desert yeah aliens of course <laughs> that screenshot like, like some, of the crazy of the the guy with the somebody sticking out hair somebody found a five thousand year old carving of something that we can't possibly resemble a crocodile, but hey, we're gonna say it does anyway. And it was alien. And that's our evidence of aliens. Read the read the figure. Um. Yes, this is the uh, historical distribution of crocodiles in North Africa, <laughs> also known as drink carefully. I mean, <laughs> shit. So. Yeah. No. Thanks. Wow. Yeah, I'm not going to any of those places. Ever. Well, but yeah, look how little water there is, but the, there's still crocodiles around. I was there. thinking for mostly the crocodiles, but yeah, you bring up a good point with the whole fact that it's a desert, desert. hellscape. Yeah, <laughs> well, that too. <coughs> so second, there are beautiful rock carvings of giraffes and other savanna animals, which huh. are obviously currently not present in the Sahara. Other carvings and paintings showed people herding cattle in a green, well-watered land and swimming in large bodies of water. Yeah, that's oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. Some... So, why would people have been carving all these like species that are not currently there right. if they had not been there in the past? Yeah. By the way, also a fun quest in uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 is finding all the rock carvings in the game. Huh. Well, how? what fun. Yes. <laughs> They were thinking of this. Apparently so. So figure three is the rock art and swimming figures, which... Yeah. I mean, the, the rock art looks really cool and really big. Yes. Yes, it does. And just that would be bizarre if you think about it. Like, wait, why are you showing people swimming in the middle of the desert? Yeah, why are you showing giraffes? Yeah. Of course, I, I'm glad there are smarter people than me looking at this stuff. Because yeah. they'd be like, oh, that's cool. And I wouldn't even put two wouldn't, and two together. Yeah, wait, a giraffe doesn't belong out here. Right. So clearly this art did not reflect the current conditions of the Sahara. The weathered condition, uh, conditions of the rock carvings and the remote uninhabited locations where they were found suggested that they had not been made by any of the current desert tribes mm. and they were potentially very old. But how could this enormous expanse of desert, which is the size of the United States, ever have been green? So, so now we, now we go like to... This is like a little history mystery. Yeah. I like it. I'm liking it. Histories that that is a history channel. History's mysteries. Is it? Of course. That's a show. Of course. I I was not the first person to think of that. I'm sure. So we are on to climate science. We always. That's not a thing. No, it's not. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's no such thing. The climate isn't real. Um. So climate science. In fact, the Earth's climate is subject to a great deal of natural variation because of the non-uniformity of the Earth's orbit. Hmm. Okay. These orbital irregularities are called Milankovitch uh, cycles after the scientists who first discovered them. The most rapid of the cycles is a wobble, which resembles the wobble of a spinning top and takes about 20,000 years. The next longer cycle is the tilt of the Earth, which shifts about every 40,000 years. The next cycle... Oh, wait. On the back. Oh, sorry. No. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. <laughs> The, the, next ne the next cycle is a change in orbital shape when the Earth's orbit uh, around the sun becomes more or less... Ellipsoidal. Thank you. Ellipsoidal. 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 And occurs every 100,000 years. The inclination of the Earth's orbit also moves slightly up, up and down in space every 100,000 years. Finally, to quote directly from Wikipedia... Oh, thank you, Angela. You're making us feel a little better now. Yes, thank you very much. Because that was a lot of smart stuff you just said. The orbital ellipse itself precesses uh, in space? Precesses? Precesses. Precesses in space <laughs> in an irregular fashion, completing a full cycle every 112,000 years relative to the fixed stars. Wow. 
The 20,000-year wobble means that changes in which part of the Earth received the maximum amount of solar energy caused large changes in the climate. Specifically, the meteorological conditions which impede the northward movement of the West African monsoons and lead to stable high pressure over the uh, over the Sahara, yeah, Sahara. The Sahara vanish, allowing the monsoons to move northward and systems from the coastal areas to move inland. Huh. The wobble means that the Sahara repeatedly greens and dries, repeating the greening and drying every 20,000 years. Wow, that's interesting. Oh, yeah. We also didn't mention that you just finished working all night and we're recording this yes, at I like did. 7 o'clock in the morning. You did mention that? No, or no saying, oh, okay, yeah, saying, yeah. But so, no reason. That's that's why I'm fumbling. Plus, <laughs> well, I didn't write it. So well, there's that too. Yeah, yeah. I gotcha. I do but, not know what words are coming. I did not know that the Sahara. Well, first of all, I didn't know about any of that stuff. No, uh, the wobble. The I, uh, Chad is talking, but Chad gets into more of what's happening on Earth, not to Earth itself. Like what's happening inside. Oh, like, like uh, um. Uh, Chad is talking about more about what's in the. Right. Chad's talking about what's in the ground and things like that. Right. In the environment yeah. on a micro level, not yes. a macro level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing, too, that I know is uh, like people use the argument of, oh, the earth goes through all sorts of natural um, variations. And that is true. It does. Yes. But it doesn't as quickly as like every 20,000 years, every 100,000 years, not like a decade changing massively the way our climate is changing because we're fucking it up so well we're certainly not helping that is for damn sure and um yeah yeah i'm not gonna go off on a tangent on that anyway (laughs) i think i think everybody listening probably knows how we feel about that so heinrich barth to his credit was one of the first scientists to propose that the sahara had once had a much wetter climate the ancient greek geographer strabo Strabo the Strabo, Greek. and the even more ancient writer Herodotus had both discussed the existence of a greener Sahara, but the writings on this had been dismissed as simply stories not backed up by any real observations or proof. Well, I could I could understand like um, thinking it was mythology or something. Sure. Yeah, because yeah. they don't know. Nobody right. nobody knows. Um, by the 1930s, the idea that the Sahara had once been green was considered to be exceedingly likely as evidence Hmm. was abundant. However, the science of the day thought that the cause of the Green Sahara was glacial periods, the most recent ice ages, uh, for one example, rather than variations in the Earth's orbit. Okay. So, like, well, there was, uh, the glaciers melted, there you go, gave some uh, water to the area, and that's what made it green, and I I get that. I mean, that's a likely thing. I mean, it's a a workable theory. It's a sensical theory, yes. Uh Uh-huh. So now we are on to the Green Sahara. The Green Sahara. So archaeological evidence shows that the Green Sahara was an ideal place for the development of human culture and civilization. Hmm. The last green period began between 15,000 and 14,500 years ago and rapidly progressed. The switch from a dry to a wetter climate appears to be abrupt rather than gradual, leading to short but intense periods of transition, followed by a steady, humid, or arid state. So, yeah, so we're talking about less than the cycle now, because we're talking yes, uh, 14,500 fi- yeah. 14, to 15,000 years ago. Right, where this 20,000. Right, so it's, according to historical Earth data. <laughs> Earth data. This, this thing is already sped up by 5,000 years. Yeah, I guess so. It's sped up by 25%. Um, well, or or it could... Or that could be when it, like, is it 20,000 years on, 20,000 years off? Or is it that it switches over 20,000 years? Uh, Both. I'm not sure. Okay. (laughs) I'm just reading it. (laughs) I'm not understanding it. (laughs) We'll leave that to the smart people and just read it as is. (laughs) Um, And I'm definitely causing people to lose brain cells this morning. (laughs) I I apologize. (laughs) Uh, so the switch from a dry to a wetter climate appears to be abrupt rather than gradual, uh, the, and the effects are dramatic, with lakes and streams rapidly filling and enlarging as vegetation spreads on the now well-watered ground. Huh. That's, uh, the fact that it happens so quickly, that's, that's the first page. I can put that on. Um, 
I'm very interested to see what maybe contributed to that. So, figure four, we have a digital elevation model of Sahara Mega Lakes by Quaid. Quaid. Quaid J. J. Et al. Et al. See, it's, it's like this is a proper paper. This is proper research we're reading here. Yeah. It's got, like, notes and shit. It's got degrees and latitudes <laughs> and longitudes and, like, colors. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is legit. It is. Yeah. I feel like I shouldn't be reading this. I know, like we're not qualified. Yeah, we right. should get Angela in to yeah, read it. We should have just had, yeah. We'll send you a microphone. <laughs> so these proposed ancient lakes were enormous, with ancient Lake Chad being the size of the modern day Caspian Sea. Note Lake Chad is the best documented of the ancient mega lakes, with mm. the existence existence of the others being more controversial. Oh. It was BCE thirteen thousand after all, so Jeez, yeah. quite a long time ago. Yeah. The presence of the mega lakes surrounded by forests and savanna permitted the Sahara to be inhabited by the animals seen in the ancient oh, uh, okay. uh, pteroglyphs, uh, including giraffe, uh, elephants, hyenas, cheetahs, aurochs, now extinct, which are now extinct ancient oh. cattle. Never heard of that. Yeah. Uh, lions, wildebeests, and zebras. The lakes har- harbored tilapia. Oh. Perch, catfish, turtles, clams, and, of course, the still-present crocodiles. Like Southern Africa today, it was ideal for our ancestors. Initially, it was occupied by hunter-gatherers and fishermen, but as civilization developed, it became home to pastoralists, um, also known as animal herders, Mm -hmm. as well. The initial humans may have come from the Nile Valley to the east, up up from Southern Africa, or from the Caspian culture to the north. We have no written record of what life was like for these inhabitants of the Green Sahara. But we do have a good idea of what their life was like based on their art. Yeah. Life was idyllic for these ancient peoples, at least at first. Uh, The earliest uh, petroglyphs show human figures wearing loincloths and carrying spears. Hmm. We know these people had a fair amount of leisure time based upon the amount of uh, petroglyphs and rock art they Uh. produced, which show them hunting animals with spears, fishing, and swimming. Archaeological excavations at Gobero in Niger show a sedentary population with a subsistent... Uh, let me back Subs- up for a second. Quote, a sedentary population with a subsistence economy based on fishing and on hunting, unquote. Huh. Other sites, such as Tassili in Niger <laughs> in Algeria, show people hunting large wild fauna with spears and axes. The rock art from this time, called the Large... Uh, wild fauna period huh. is beautiful and ornate. It sounds that way. Yeah. Uh, showing the amount of time and resources available for creating it. This period lasted for about 6,000 years uh, from 12,000 to 6,000 BP. What's BP? I don't know. We'll have to ask Angela. I don't know. Well, that's, it, you know, what's really interesting is the idea of like, well, they had a lot of art, so they had a lot of time to create that art. Um, can you imagine what the... Well, look at how, look at how intrinsic this it, is. It is. It is. Wild Auroch rock carving mm-hmm. by Linus Wolf. And the Auroch apparently is the extinct, uh, what used to be a cow. Similar oh, to Oh, that's a cow. right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So that's figure five, but just look at that artwork. Well, so here's the thing. This guy's name is Linus Wolf. It is. So this is a modern piece of art. This isn't. Oh, okay. Right? Own work, CC by, oh, I guess. I don't know. Because by Linus Wolf. Sure. Yeah. I don't think Linus I don't think Wolf they, I was don't. living it. <laughs> he could have. He could have etched it in there too. You never know. <laughs> I thought it meant maybe that was the photo. Who took the photo? Oh, you know what? You're correct. I bet you're correct. I bet you're absolutely right. This is being properly cited, as opposed to um, <laughs> just throwing it out there. Yeah. I, I think, think you're correct. Yeah. I think you're absolutely correct. You're correct that that is a traditional or like one of the people way back when did that. And Linus one of the took way the back picture. when people. <laughs> new name for a band. Oh, the that's way gonna back be, when. That's going to be the new name for uh, for our band. The way back when. The way back when people, <laughs> featuring the Sunday people. <laughs> that's the Sunday. <laughs> that was something that came up a couple episodes ago that I also am claiming for an alternative. Oh, rock okay, band. gotcha. Um, so during the period immediately following, the art becomes much more stylized and begins to show signs of possible religious significance. Uh, yeah. 
The art from this period is known as the round head period, quote unquote, <laughs> as all of the human figures have round, featureless heads. <laughs> the, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> the scenes from this, uh, aliens, there it is right there. <laughs> <laughs> the ancient aliens people have already been to this place. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, the scenes from this period tend to show large figures of humans or animals, often surrounded by s- many smaller figures. These paintings have been interpreted as showing humans worshipping or potentially representing uh, Shaman- shim- shamanistic beliefs, uh-huh. as they also frequently show the faceless human figures in profile appearing to float in space. Huh. Oh, there we go again. Yeah, it's see, it's all the aliens. <laughs> This artistic period lasted from 9500 to 7000 BC. Huh. Um, that's what that's, was the last uh, that would be creepy date to that see. she used. It was was it uh, sixteen? I think it's on the back of that page. BP. She might oh, have. BP. She might have meant to put BC. Maybe. And just. Okay. Or maybe it's another term we're not familiar with. I guess. Oh, uh, and... More academic. There it is again. So maybe maybe it was not a mistake. Okay. It must just mean some more specific way to, like... The bipolar era. (laughs) I doubt (laughs) that's what it is. I doubt it is, too, but that's how I'll remember it. Okay, there you go. So eventually the Sahara began to dry again, and Mm. humans living there adapted by adopting a more pastoral lifestyle. During this period, which lasted from 7200 to 3000 BP... The rock art and petroglyphs show the beginnings of organizi- organized, organized, were they organized, organized, they were organized <laughs> civilizations. Art from this period shows men hunting with bows while women and children live in camps. People are depicted as herding newly domesticated sheep, cattle, and goats, sometimes accompanied by dogs as well. The figures wear clothing, usually pants instead of loincloths. Huh are shown, shown in more normal proportion to other people and animals and are painted in more lifelike colors. That's, That's got to be so fascinating to find. Their art, like, evolved. Yeah. Along As the culture, culture did. Yeah. Well, which which came first? The art of the culture. Like. Yeah. Well, they co- coexisted. They do. Yes, absolutely. But it's like the chicken or the egg. It's like, yeah. it's like what's influencing the other. Right, yeah. Uh-huh. But that's interesting. And then they were wearing Pants. pants. Instead of loincloths. I find that interesting, I too. do, too. Yeah. when I think of people who existed, like, before time... Right, yeah, in think ancient peop- times. I think of people in loincloths. Basically, yeah. The poor bastards. Well, they figured out pants. They did. So there yes, we go. they got to pants. And fire. Yeah. And a rope. They get, they get those three things. And petroglyphs. Yes. Um, so now we are at the disaster. Which I'm guessing is when it was no longer yeah, habitable. Right. So, sadly, all good things must come to an end. As the climate continued to change, the mega lakes first shrank and then disappeared. That's happening on Earth now. Yeah. You may be mentally picturing the evaporation of a pond or a mud puddle, but in reality, evaporating lakes are ecological horror shows, I'm sure. Initially, the lack of inflow causes the waters to still and stagnate, lowering oxygen and nutrient oh, levels. Oh, yeah. So so it probably gets all gross it's, and dead makes it diseased, yeah. kind of. Well, it makes me think of, you remember how much the water line had changed when we went to um, the Hoover Dam? Yes. Remember you could see it on the rocks? Yes. Like how much higher it used to be? Mm-hmm. That was crazy. Um. The lowered availability of nutrients and oxygen begins to cause aquatic life to die, yeah. yep, further fouling the water. Yeah, it just becomes like a, a, a cesspool, a, a, literally. A graveyard, yeah. like a fish and uh, aquatic life graveyard. Ugh. Bacterial and algal populations increase, yeah. yep, making the water smelly, Ugh. foul-tasting, and dangerous to drink. Yeah. As evaporation proceeds, the salinity of the lake remnant increases until the water is both too foul and too saline to be consumed or to support aquatic Ugh. life. That's yeah. Finally the water evaporates completely and only the formerly dissolved minerals are left. These minerals are blown around as dust and and cause respiratory illness. Oh no. Oh. So this is figure 6. Uh, fish die-offs in the Sultan and Aral Seas. Oh. That's a lot of fish. Ugh, and can you imagine how awful that smells? Yeah, uh, it's yeah. Let's not imagine how awful no. that smells. Oh, jeez, wow, that's awful. So the lack of rainfall also led to vegetation changes. Sure, yeah. Wild fruit and nut trees and shrubs withered and died. Flowers and herbs Just... dried up and didn't return. 
The grasses and forbs, the animals needed for food, failed to grow and then yeah. disappeared entirely. Wildfires and dust storms would have become uh-huh. more prevalent as the dead vegetation was burned by lightning strikes or sparks from campfires or buried by blowing sand. Stop that. That. The fires and dust storms would have worsened conditions for the Sahara's inhabitants and made life even harder Jesse for them. Jesse Hinkman, stop that. Jesse is using my record albums oh, as a scratching that's right, post. That's right. You are not allowed to do that. <laughs> stop that. Sit. Sit on paper. Here. There you go. Sit on your paper. You can chew it if you want. Oh, sometimes they're like children. But that... That, uh... <laughs> what... Just now they get to hear how you discipline our cat when he's chewing on the records, which which is warranted, by the way. He's scratching. He uses a, uses a scratch. Sometimes he chews on them, too. Ugh. Don't you know those are classic albums, you little shit? <laughs> yes, he does. That's why he does yeah, it. Yeah, probably, probably isn't. He's like, yeah, I know. What are you going to do about it? Um, But when you were saying that the, the climate was causing, like, lightning strikes to have... Or, or, or when lightning struck, it would cause wildfires more easily because mm-hmm. of the dried up vegetation. I mean, we're seeing that now. Yeah, we are. I mean, a large portions of Australia are burning because of our changing climate. A lot of what you're describing is what we are seeing now. Sure. Like, it, it, but on a global level, which is why we know it's a big problem. Yeah. So these worsening conditions cause people to become desperate. Yeah. yeah that's the other part of it. In the documentary... Uh, how the Sahara Desert was made. It used to be green. <laughs> I like that subtitle. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is fascinating. I never knew this yeah, at all. Yeah, me neither. So this was produced in 2009 for the A&E Television Network. You remember A&E? Oh, yeah. The desperation uh, becomes apparent as one of the archeolo- archaeologists explores an ancient cave which has been filled with windblown sand. The cave appears to have been considered a sacred site and contains many paintings and carvings. Mm. One of the largest carvings is an irregular rounded figure with many long lines emanating from it. This carving, which takes up most of the available space on the cave wall, represents the monsoon rains that by this time had again receded to the south. The carving is believed to have been made as a prayer and an entreaty entreaty? to whatever entreaty Mm -hmm. to whatever deities the makers believed in to restore the life giving rains. So this was was desperation. yeah. Yeah. The prayer was not successful, and the monsoon rains continued to move farther south, while the greenery of the Sahara withered and died, and the animals too retreated following the rain. Yeah, because yeah, they just are naturally like, well, we're going where the water is. So this is figure six, which is cave art oh, that's depicting the monsoon rains. Jesse! So, that Sorry. was the... Uh, I know. So that was the disaster... Yes. In itself, which that sounds horrible. Just imagine you're... But this was, again, is taking place over thousands of... All right, we're back. Demetrius just stopped our recording. Okay. Thank you, kitties. Yes. I think we leave them out the next time. I think so, With the creepy new bed that they feel creepy. Yes. It is not a creepy new bed. (laughs) The bed is wonderful. It's just creepy to them. They're, They're creeped out by it. So... Yeah, I can't. I mean, could you imagine living there when this is going well, on? Well, and especially they didn't know what was going no. on. No, and and under because you had to walk five thousand miles away to get to something nicer. And well, and just you're not making it. Like I think it's so clear. Like I do not begrudge anyone their religious beliefs at all, but I think it's just so clear when you look at ancient civilizations and stuff how we as a human race came up with religion because Out of desperation. when you don't understand something yeah. what else what else could it be you know in in human understanding i always think of that when i watched the show that took out parts of the of uh, the bible about i don't know which books but anyway mm-hmm. um where he was talking about well, yeah, 600 years ago, if somebody saw a volcano, like, of course they thought it was the gods coming right, down. Right. They, like, they had no point of reference right. otherwise, you know, and it's stuff like that, too. Like Prior to scientific these, understanding. These people who are making these um, paintings, like of religious paintings, to, uh-huh. they didn't know that this place used to be a paradise 2,000 right, years earlier, right, you know? Yeah. So they're just 
caught in the absolute wrong time period. And even if someone was like, oh, well, no, it's climate, they'd be like, wait, what are you talking about? Like, that scientific understanding just wasn't available. No. Yeah. So this is the It's actually really sad. It is sad. Yes. It really is. I mean, think of how this place used to be. And think of the people who are having to deal with those changes. That would be really scary. So the aftermath... So with neither water nor forage for their herds and themselves, the people were forced to move south deeper into Africa, north towards the Mediterranean coast or east into the Nile Delta. This movement, which began about 5,000 years ago, is believed to have led to the rise of agriculture in cities in the Nile Delta region. Eventually, this further concentration of population in agriculture became the Old Kingdom of Egypt, uh, which lasted from 2613 to 2181 BCE. So it's about 450 years. It's a pretty good run. Yeah. Which was one of the forerunners of modern civilization. And this is figure seven. Egyptian old kingdom construction. So yeah. like the um, the beginnings of a modern type of civilization. That's wow. crazy. And that was... Some, somebody actually had to do that first. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right? <laughs> and that was the story of the Green Sahara. I'm, I never knew. Never knew? I I guess I... Well, well, my, why, well, why would your mind go to, I wonder right. if this place used to be green. <laughs> right? Except for people having, right. l- like, hmm. Eyewitness accounts. What and, about the oh, crocodiles? Geez. Random crocodiles. And also this art. <laughs> yeah, like, how would somebody in the middle of the desert know what the fuck a giraffe is? Right? Like, they've, there's no way they've ever seen one. Yeah, exactly. But, and then just the, I I think it's also sort of um, telling of like that, of what climate change does. And now this was a cyclic, this was a truly cyclical climate change caused by just natural variations in the um, Earth's orbit and all of that, which there are. But even you can see when something natural like that does happen, how it affects everything, all all life. Um, so then imagine being in, oh, I don't know, a period of time where climate change is not being caused by natural variations, but rather things that we're doing to fuck ourselves over. But we're still well, seeing well, it's, these... It's, it's both, actually, but we're just speeding up the process. Well, that's like, the that's, thing, that's, that's yes. The but... And and all of these negative consequences that these people had to deal with just naturally, we're already having to deal with be- unnaturally because we're 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 um, gumming up the works to the whole thing right. and uh, the desperation and the yeah it's just it's actually it's a really sad story. It is. It got very sad. Yeah, because of the people involved, you know. And the animals, the mass mm-hmm. die off of the animals, and oh. Again, this is all taking place over thousands of years, yes. but in as far as the Earth is, is concerned, oh, it's, it's, a, a, it's, a, it's a blink of an eye. Absolutely, absolutely. It's like, here now, gone tomorrow. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, well, that was a crazy story, and I thank you so very, very much, Angela. Absolutely, and and well researched yes. and well written. Of course, uh, the next time she sends us a, a script, we will both go over it, <laughs> so we can pre-pronounce some of the words, <laughs> or attempt to, <laughs> or attempt to. But this this just was, was excellent research. We have done. An episode every single Monday since July 17th, 2017. Since we started. We have not missed one. That's right. And we did not want to miss this week. This week was particularly difficult for trying to pull something together for multiple reasons. Um, and we're recording it the, like 12 hours before it's coming out. We're, we're literally recording at the 11th hour. Yes, but just about. I think we have recorded a Sunday night once. I think we have. Yeah. Um... But it that came in so handy, Angela. Thank you so much. And you know what? She uh, messaged us uh, just a few hours ago saying, I, I sent over another script. So perfect. Uh, keep, keep them coming, Angela. That's very well done. Very and well anybody done. else who wants to send one Absolutely. too. Absolutely. And who has and, and who has suggested that that is not to say that we are any less grateful for you as well. If there's something you've been 
really wanting us to cover cover and we just haven't done it and you just are like hey well i'll do it and just send it to him yeah D- please that, yes by all means yes we so, please yes yes please we're, we're, we're begging if you can't tell especially <laughs> in the middle of tax season while i'm sick that would be amazing so so yeah so which one of us we we both you did most of it but we both I think it was about half and half. So it's pretty close. So who should say how should we do the wrap up? Uh I guess I, I guess I will start the okay. wrap up. So this is that was the Green Sahara. Yes. And this has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. Together. Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll see, see you, you next, next week. week. <laughs> <laughs> so cheesy.